Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Numbers. Happy Friday, faithful listener. This is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast that explains the Bible, or at least I do my best to explain the Bible. (laughs) I'm getting, I, I, you know, learn something new all the time for sure, but yeah. But anyway, I love that you guys take your time during your day to turn on this podcast and spend some time with me discussing scripture because we're all learning together. I don't truly believe that I am Um, you know, teaching you guys, I kind of believe I'm more discussing it and just trying to get people maybe to think about the scripture that is being stated each day. So hopefully you guys are blessed by the podcast. I love hearing your testimonials. So if you contact me and tell me how the podcast has helped you, I just love those kinds of testimonials. And perhaps I will read one as well. But let's go ahead and read today Numbers chapter 25, 1 through 5. And the reason I'm not reading the entire chapter like I initially intended to is because I think that there should be some groundwork put into place for this uh, chapter. And that's why I only want to talk about the first few verses. So grab your Bible, whatever version you prefer. But I will be reading out of the W.E.B. version, as I always do. The reason I read out of that version, for those of you who don't know, it's because it is a completely free, 100% public domain version of the Bible, just as KJV is. But the reason I don't read the KJV is because it's just a little too too hard for the modern person to understand, especially if you are new to Scripture. So let's go ahead and read Numbers chapter 25, 1 through 5. Grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea. And let's go ahead and start. Israel stayed in Shittim, and the people began to play the prostitutes with the daughters of Moab, for they called the people to sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down to their gods. Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and Yahweh's anger burned against Israel. Yahweh said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them up to Yahweh before the sun, that the fierce anger of Yahweh may turn away from Israel. Moses said to the judges of Israel, Everyone kill his men who has joined themselves to Baal Peor. So on Wednesday, we finished up talking about Balaam, the good old Balaam, who was not so good. And I had to end up backtracking about Balaam because I initially thought like this guy is just some obscure prophet that, you know, didn't really do much damage because God stopped him from doing damage with cursing the people. So this is kind of what I was thinking. This is sort of what I thought. And it turns out as I did more research on who Balaam was, that he was a really cruddy human being. Like, honestly, like not only was he a God disobeyer, but he was a greedy person. He was an animal beater. And uh, he ended up being a person to put a stumbling block in front of all of Israel. We literally just talked about some stumbling blocks, like I think two weeks ago, where Jesus mentions that stumbling blocks are always going to come our way. But the problem comes in is when we are the ones who are the stumbling block for other people. In other words, we make people trip up. We cause them 
to be unable to follow Jesus the correct way. We cause them to veer off the path. We cause them to sin in some way or we help them to sin in some way. Jesus says, woe to that person who is the stumbling block. It would be better for him to die a horrible death than to be a stumbling block for a little child. And like I said before, I don't believe that's talking just about little children physically, though it definitely could be. I think it's also talking about people who are weak in their faith, people who are brand new Christians and stuff like that. Now, the reason I mention this idea of the stumbling block is because Balaam was one. He put a stumbling block in front of these Israeli people. Because when he found out that he could not curse the people on a spiritual level and God protected the Israelites from Balaam's curse, Balaam decided, well, I still want my money. I still want what King Balak can give me. Because remember, King Balak hired Balaam to curse the people. And uh, Balak was going to give Balaam tons of money, tons of honor, whatever else. Balaam wanted all that. So when he found out that he could not curse the people initially the way Balak wanted him to, he decided he's going to do the next, I guess, best thing, which is to put a stumbling block in front of the people to get them to curse themselves, which is so fascinating. I mean, Balaam is such a weird guy because he he understood God, it sounds like he understood that all of this was wrong. He understood that if the Israelites did this, it would be a sin. But yet Balaam still didn't care. He wanted to use that for his own gain. He truly didn't care about the things of God, even though he kind of understood the things of God. I mean, he did prophesy about Jesus. I mean, we talked about all that. But that's why I'm, I'm very fascinated by who Balaam is. And that is why we got to really watch out in our churches for those Balaam type preachers and leaders that are in our church. The people who understand God, talk a certain way, act as if they love God, and yet do things that are contrary to what God wants, which is to be a stumbling block for people, which is to um, affirm people possibly. I mean, we see a lot of that happening in in churches nowadays. But yes, we, we definitely have to watch out for these leaders in our church that are potentially causing people to go astray, being a Balaam, putting a stumbling block in front of people. So anyway, the way Balaam ended up putting this stumbling block in front of the people was by telling King Balak how to get the people to curse themselves. So here's what Revelation 2.14 actually says. And this is a good point that I should bring up. It's actually a fantastic segue about talking both about churches and Balaam, because God here is talking to the churches in Revelation chapter two, and I think three and four as well. He's mentioning different churches that were in the area that God was either blessing or telling them to change. So here's what God has to say about this particular church from Revelations chapter two. I have a few things against you because you hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block in front of the children of Israel to eat things that were sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. And that's basically what Revelation 2 says. So yes, not only do we have to watch out for these Balaams that are in our church 
doing this exact thing? Because God does say churches have the spirit of Balaam sometimes. They can. But we also have to understand what happened here to the Israelite people. Balaam went to Balak and told Balak how he could get the people to curse themselves. Basically by getting all his pretty girls to go out and associate with the Israelite men to get the men to start lusting after them and after their God, Baal. We're going to learn so much about Baal over the next however many years this podcast is going to take. (laughs) Baal pops up basically through everything. Baal, I believe, actually was the god of the god of fertility, I think. Or was that Asherah? I know Asherah was something as well. I don't know. They always had to do something with sex, honestly. Because here's the thing. Little G gods like Baal and Asherah and Moloch, they were made up. They were made up by human beings. And of course, if a human being decides to make up a god and they don't know anything or care anything about the real god, why wouldn't they put rules in place with sex? Because sex can be gratifying. Sex can be enjoyable. So why not put those two things together and put sex as an act of worship for whatever little g-god this is? Ancient little g-god worship and sex almost always went hand in hand together. And we know that through history. So Balaam puts these stumbling blocks in front of these Israeli men. The men fall for it and go after these hot young chicks. They want to worship their gods with them because that includes sex and and whatever else. So there's a lot of immortality or not immortality, immorality happening right now in Israel because of one man, Balaam, who started all of it. But here's the thing. Balaam was absolutely, definitely the stumbling block here. And Balaam did it for his own personal gain, because even though he couldn't curse the people on a spiritual level, still wanted that money. He still wanted to be one of the king's counselors. So he became the stumbling block. But notice that God here is not yet punishing Balaam. We'll get to Balaam's punishment in a while. But God is not yet punishing Balaam. He is punishing the men who chose to do this. I think that's extremely important for us to recognize. We in in this culture, and I'm going to get myself in trouble for saying this. I just know it. (laughs) In our culture, we have this thing where if we think somebody's a victim, we can't ask them any questions at all because what they say goes But my thought process on that, and this is just a question I'm going to ask everybody. Can you be a victim while still having some fault in the matter? And I believe, yes, you can. I, I mean, yes, I do believe there are definitely some victims out there who truly had no fault whatsoever. But I do believe that there are a lot of victims who had some fault in the matter. Even if it was just a minuscule amount, they could have made a change. They could have made a choice that maybe was better. They could have to get themselves out of a situation. So this idea of we can't ask victims any questions and we just have to condone every single thing they did because, oh, they were a victim in the end. That's not biblical. Because if you think about it, 
this here is a story of the Israelite people becoming victims to something that uh, Balaam did to them. But God punishes these men. So these men had fault in the matter. Sure, there was a stumbling block put in front of them, but they could have avoided it. They could have taken better steps to not become the victims of Balaam. And you guys might be saying like, oh, that's not the same thing. And you're victim blaming and whatever else. But God does say that we are each responsible for our own actions. And if we choose to get ourselves into a certain situation, we choose to not see the truth. We do have some fault in that. So anyway, these men and women of Israel, who are the victims of Balaam and Balak, still have to pay for their participation in this matter. So God says, these men have to die. All the chiefs of the people hang them up to Yahweh before the sun so that the fierce anger of Yahweh may turn away from Israel. You know, we see verses like this in scripture and and a lot of people get very angry about this. They're just like, oh, God is so mean, you know, because he demands justice. But imagine if this was allowed to continue. First and foremost, why would God allow his people to do this? Why would God allow somebody to start worshiping another God, especially when they made a literal promise with God that they would not do this? So they broke their promise first and foremost. Which, if your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whoever else broke a promise to you, you'd be infuriated, especially one of this level. Like if your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever went out and cheated on you, you'd leave them. I mean, most people would at least. (laughs) Not everybody, but a lot of people would uh, get themselves out of that situation because a promise had been broken. God often relates uh, worship of other gods to be the same as somebody who commits sexual immorality against their husband or wife. That's stated so many times in scripture that it's very similar. And of course, the marriage relationship is similar to God's relationship with us in the way that if my husband went out and cheated on me, I'd be absolutely just 100% devastated that that happened. So God, of course, loves us so much And keeps his promise to us that when we go out and start idolizing something else, worshiping something else, God, of course, gets jealous. He's going to get jealous. Actually, God says his name is jealous. So why wouldn't God get angry? And secondly, in Leviticus, we've talked about how when sexual immorality is allowed to thrive in a community, things begin to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's not just sexual immorality. It starts becoming violent. It starts becoming similar to how we saw Sodom and Gomorrah, where people are just totally disrespected, raped in the streets. A traveler can't even go through safely without getting uh, harassed by somebody else. That's what's allowed to happen. That's what does happen historically every time sexual immorality gets out of control. So God puts an end to this very quickly by demanding justice, by demanding the people who, do, who did this to die the death that he already said was going to happen. 
years and years before this in the law, God says, if you start doing this, this is what's going to happen. So now God is saying, it's coming to fruition. You started doing it. I said, this is what's going to happen. You said you were totally okay with that. You made that promise. So now you're doing this other thing and it's going to happen. I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So of course, something that bothered God 40 years before this, when the law was written, it's going to bother him now with these people who are once again, beginning to fall away from God. So I think we unpacked a lot in just these five little verses today. And maybe a lot for you guys to chew on throughout the weekend. But I think the big thing that we can, you and I, take away from this today is that just remember that God cares so much about us. He wants us to think of him. He doesn't want us to put idols in our lives because not only are they bad for us, not only do they uh, not give us what God gives us, they turn us away from the path that we should be taking. The most healthy path is following God's commandments. So my question to you is, is there anything in your life that you are in fact putting above God? It could be a relationship with your spouse or with your children. It could be a physical thing. It could be money. It could be just anything really that we put above God. And this is not meant to guilt anybody or to, you know, make them feel inferior because we all struggle and it's only through God's grace <laughs> that we can do anything. But it definitely is good to think about these things every once in a while and just check ourselves. What are we putting above God today? Well, faithful listeners, I hope that you enjoyed this episode, that you were convicted by it. And if you were, share it on your social media platforms. Tell people that the Bible Explained podcast exists. And I really hope that all of you do enjoy the content that I am providing. But if you would like to support P40 Ministries and the Bible Explained podcast in a different way, go over to the t-shirt shop and pick yourselves up some merch. Get yourself a Lion of Judah tee or maybe one of the new Lion of Judah tote bags. They're pretty cool. Get that for yourself or for a family member. And every almost everything in my shop is pretty unisex as well. Maybe the tote bags are, are more feminine. But that's not the only way you can support the podcast. You can just support it by talking to people about it, by evangelizing in that way, and just letting people know that the Bible Explained podcast is out there for their convenience. But guys, I really do hope that you are blessed by God this weekend, that you uh, just remember God, remember his promises to you, Remember that he loves you and just be blessed to this weekend. So as I say at the end of every podcast episode, happy listening. And of course, God bless. Ooh.